Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, um, we are continuing in this series that we've been in. This is our second to last week. Next week is our last week talking about kingdom creation. And then the week after that, we are blessed to have our bishop with us that week. Um, I'll, be, I'll be away. My family and I are going to take a, a weekend away. And so the bishop is going to be here and spend some time with us that weekend, which I'm thankful for. Uh, today, today, sermon's a little different. No Greek, no, um, no digging into to words with you. Just, <laughs> just um, I just want to set a scene for you today. That's my hope. If you can walk away today having a picture of the future that you didn't have, then I will feel like I have done something for you. Years and years ago, scientists set out to study deer to determine how deer make a decision. If any of you are hunters out there, you might find this interesting. In order to understand how deer make a decision, they had to do something. They had to watch deer. They had to observe deer. They had to watch herds of deer and write down what deer did and and record what they saw. And what they noticed was that after a herd was in a place for a while, they saw a large deer move to a new place and the herd would follow the deer to uh, or would follow the large deer to a new place and what scientists concluded was that that large deer must be the alpha deer and that that alpha deer was the leader of the herd and the alpha deer made the decision as to where to go and the other deer would follow and this became the general understanding of how deer made the decision made a decision for decades, other research teams would come along, they would find this research, and they would duplicate it. They would go out in teams, research teams, they would observe herds of deer, they would watch and observe, and they would see the exact same thing. There was a large deer in the herd who would get up and move, and the herd would follow. And they concluded the exact same thing. There must be an alpha deer present that made a decision and the whole herd would follow to a new location. And so for decades, the conclusion was there is an alpha deer. Until there was a research team that came along led by Dr. Larissa Conrad. What no one realized was that all of the research teams that came before this one is that they had all been led by men. Dr. Larissa Conrad was the first woman to lead a research team and the first to lead a team of mostly women. What they saw when they observed herds of deer was the same thing. A large deer would make, would seem to make a decision and move on. But here's what they noticed. In the hour leading up, to that deer moving, they saw the heads of the herd of deer 
poke their heads up and look in a direction. Now, deer have a finite number of places that they want to go. They want to go to bed. They want to go get a drink of water. They want to go eat somewhere, right? That's really it. So the deer, wherever they were, would poke their head up, and they would look towards a bedding location, a food source, or a water source. And what that large deer was doing was watching until about 60% of the herd had their head up pointed in the same direction. And when about 60% of the deer had their head up pointed in the same direction, the large deer would move in the direction the heads were pointed. Then all the deer would go. That large deer was not making a decision. The large deer was simply counting the vote of the herd of deer. His job was not to be the alpha decision maker. His job was to watch and see what the community of deer wanted. But nobody noticed that until this research team led by women came along and noticed that. The difference was that this research team was led by women. Now, deer have no alpha. That's what they realized. And as scientists paid attention and they watched, deer have no alpha. Further study of deer herds showed that female deer are actually the ones who are in more control of the deer herd. Deer are matriarchal, not patriarchal. They even have control over mating. The first scientists who studied deer, the deer herds and how deer make decisions, they weren't bad people and they weren't bad scientists. But when they did the study, they were men living in a time period that was very patriarchal. And what they saw and what they were living bled into the conclusions of their research. The truth is, even for us here and now today, that it can be really hard for us to shake a worldview that we don't even know that we have and we don't even know is affecting us. Those scientists didn't know that they had a worldview that was based in men making decisions that was affecting the conclusion of their research. But now we do. Perspective changes everything. There was a time in my life when I didn't read the Bible for myself. Everything that I knew about God was what I had been told in a Sunday school class or had been told by a youth pastor. Maybe I picked something up in the odd sermon that I had been at least interested enough in to pay a little bit of attention to. At some point, as a teenager, I read a series of books called Left Behind. Um, and in that series of books, if you're at least a little familiar with them, they do talk about God and they reference scripture, so they must be true because they talk about God and they use scripture. And if you talk about God and use scripture, then it must be true because why would you talk about God and use scripture and not be truthful, right? I mean, things were true or they weren't true. Things were black and white. Things were right or wrong. Things were pretty simple. I mean, I heard, I heard people say when I was growing up that you couldn't be Democrat and be Christian. 
You couldn't be Catholic and be Christian. You couldn't be gay and be Christian. It was simple, black and white. I was even told that there was sort of a magic prayer. And if you said specific words the right way, then Jesus would come into your heart. And then your life would change. And hey, if your life didn't change, you probably said the prayer wrong. Um, or you didn't take the prayer seriously enough. So you should probably say the prayer again. Um, and while you're working on saying the prayer again, then you should uh, probably get your friends to also say the magic prayer too. And don't worry, we'll help you memorize the magic words of the magic prayer so that you can get all of your friends to have Jesus in their heart too. And you know what? I bought it all. That was my worldview because that was what I had been handed and I didn't read the Bible. And while I was told the Bible was important, I was being fed everything that I thought I needed from the people around me. My worldview, well, I didn't realize there was no other worldview first. What I was handed and what I adopted as my worldview wasn't my faith in God. I didn't buy a relationship with Jesus for myself. What I bought was the relationship with God of about the dozen most influential adults in my life. And then I managed to take the pieces of the dozen most influential adults in my life and put them together into some sort of format that was always ready to pop. Because, you know, those dozen adults didn't even agree with each other. But I didn't know that because I thought Christianity was a one-size-fits-all. If you were a Christian, you believed the same stuff. That's what, that's what I thought. If you weren't a Christian, you didn't, you didn't believe, but if you were a Christian, we all believed the same stuff. And I made it work until I couldn't anymore. I made it work until all the pieces fell apart because quite honestly, they weren't really my pieces to begin with. And here's what I realized. One of the absolute hardest steps that any follower of Jesus will take is the step to claim their relationship with Jesus. The hardest thing that you may ever do is the step you take to claim your relationship with Jesus for yourself. Some of you sitting here have decades on me but the relationship that you have with Jesus is still not yours. It's still one you were handed. It's still one that you have a whole lot of work to do to make yours. What we need to do is begin to put away the pieces of the 12 most influential adults in your life and begin to adopt the pieces of the 12 most 
influential Jesus moments of your life. The 12 most influential God moments, God connections, God miracles, failings, sufferings, scripture moments of your life, answers to prayer of your life, and begin to incorporate those into your life because those are actually your faith. See, the 12 most influential adults in your life, those pieces that you have had and held on to, those aren't really your faith anyway. That's the showy thing that you put on when you come to church and the showy thing that you have in the conversations that you have with other people. That's the answers to the questions that you give when people say, what do you believe? And you say, well, I believe X, Y, and Z. That's the, like, the doctrinal statements that you make. It's the right answer for Sunday school class that you give. But when the rubber meets the road and no one's looking and you're by yourself and you're not gonna get caught and you have a decision to make, well, that is your real faith. That is what Jesus wants. That is what I am talking about. Are you going to let Jesus in there? See, we're in this series called Kingdom Creation, which I think is incredibly important. I think every series we do is incredibly important, if I'm completely honest with you. I wouldn't be up here teaching you something or doing a series with you if I didn't think it was important, because I'm wasting my time and my breath then, which I don't want to do. I think this is important because I think it's important for us to talk about what it means to live our faith out every day, not just on Sunday. My goodness, you can go to any church you want and see Christians living out their faith. And I have no clue if anybody that comes to church and lives out their faith is genuine. No clue. Go to the grocery store. Go to their home and their marriage. Watch them be a parent. Watch them interact with somebody that gives them a hard time on the highway or stiffs them when they go to pay a bill. There we go. Now I'm going to know if their faith is genuine. That's when I'm going to know. That's what I'm talking about. How do we live this thing out in the places where it matters? I want a genuine faith. I want you to want a genuine faith. Kingdom creation isn't about Sunday morning. Anybody can show up and live out their faith on a Sunday morning. All I gotta do is be on my best behavior for a couple hours. Perhaps I should have started here, honestly. Maybe this should have been the first sermon I gave in this series. If you're living out your grandma's faith, you're missing the point. If you're living out your parents' faith, you're missing the point. If you're on your best Jesus behavior because it makes your wife happy, then you've made your wife happy. But I don't know that Jesus actually has your heart. And it's your relationship with Christ. It isn't your wife's or your parents or your grandma's. It's yours. All right. Following the way of Jesus without a relationship with Jesus makes you a pretty great person. That is so true. And there's been plenty of people in the history of this world who've said, 
I love the way of Jesus and I follow the teachings of Jesus. So following the teachings of Jesus and living out the way of Jesus makes you a pretty great person, but it doesn't mean that you are in Christ. And the letter to Colossians, which is the letter that we have been studying, makes a huge deal about being in Christ, about dying with Christ and rising with Christ. It says that if we are in Christ, then we are made full and whole and complete. Being a, a really great person is, is cool. I'm, I'm glad for really great people. Don't get me wrong. I wish the world was full of more really great people. But if the Bible is right about the work that God has for his people, then we need to be more than really great people. We need to be whole, complete, and full. And to do that, we need to be in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we're stronger as a community because we're united in him. And we're stronger as individuals because our strength isn't in our flesh. Our strength is in him. See, the work ahead of us, hear me, this is essential. Everything hinges on this. The work ahead of us is being, living, and serving the kingdom. Why are you here? Not just not in church, on earth. Why did you wake up, not get out of bed? Like, why are there beats in your heart and breath in your lungs? Why did God give you life today? Why are you on earth? I believe it's because there's a plan for you. There's a reason. The work ahead of us is being, living, and serving the kingdom. When I was a kid, my mom was really into Star Trek. And by proxy, so was I. And when I say really into Star Trek, I had the uniform. Like, the one-piece, next-generation uniform, the phaser, the badge, the works, okay? Uh, I grew up watching Captain Picard be about the best leader you can possibly imagine, uh, and, and Commander Riker, I wanted a beard like Commander Riker, like you would not believe. Kyle has the beard that I always prayed Jesus would give me. I cannot grow Commander Riker's beard, but someday maybe I will be lucky enough to have more than just this little chinny-chin thing that I have going on. When the original Star Trek movies were re-released into the theaters, I donned my full garb, phaser and all, and went to the theaters to watch those movies. Uh, I went to the Star Trek conventions, I met the actors, I got the autographs, I had the books to make sure I knew what aliens were out in the universe. I, you could call us Trekkies, and that would be accurate, okay? What's cool is they're still making Star Trek movies and Star Trek shows, so you know my kids are gonna fall in love with Star Trek too. Now, Star Trek, if you don't know what Star Trek is, Star Trek is a fiction, a science fiction show, all right? It's not real. It is 
set roughly in the future about 250 years from now. And basically, what it is, is a show about the crew of a spaceship who is exploring various galaxies, finding new planets, and uh, meeting aliens, and, and trying to make friends most of the time. And that might be enough information for you to go, um, that is a show that I will never, ever watch, Nick. That's fine. Okay, but listen, because the only reason that that crew can do what they did, get on a spaceship and go travel the universe and look for planets and find aliens, is because at some point in the history of Star Trek's fake history and in our future, is that Earth got its act together. Okay? <laughs> I do love you, Jeff. Uh, in our Star Trek future, there is a World War III that decimates the globe. Millions and billions of people die. The world is ravaged. It's a culmination of political tensions and all sorts of stuff, fighting and warring, just all sorts of terrible things finally come to a head, and there's just awfulness sounds a little like some of the worst fears that we talk about today, doesn't it? Some of the worst fears that are often propagated even on news stations. When you think about this science fiction show, Star Trek, what you learn about their history is that they decided at some point after this terrible, awful thing in their history happened that there would be no more war. Globally, they decided they would not fight anymore. That they were going to pursue peace. That they were going to end racism. That they were going to say, we're not going to have people starve to death anymore. Instead of having people in various continents starving to death, there are bigger things that matter in this world. So let's make sure that nobody needs food. Let's make sure that everybody has water. Let's make sure that if people need a doctor, they can get a doctor. Let's make sure that money doesn't stand in the way of X, Y, and Z. Let's make sure that racism doesn't exist. Let's make sure that people have education. Let's make sure that pollution doesn't destroy our world. And because they take care of all of these things, they can focus on something bigger, greater beyond themselves, which allows them to get on a spaceship and go look for other worlds, okay? Which is the fun show that I love, but now Earth is this place that is peaceful and united. Oh, Nick, what's your point? <laughs> My point is worldviews. Some of you have a worldview some of you believe that things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until Christ returns. And I used to believe that too. But let me tell you why I don't believe that anymore. Let me tell you why I don't believe that has to be. Let me say it that way. Because 
it made me an uncaring person. Because I said, if this place has just gone to hell in a handbasket, then why bother caring about the planet? Why bother recycling? This place is just gonna end, right? If gays and Catholics and Democrats are just unreachable, if God hates them, then why bother having a conversation with them? Why bother reaching out to them? Why bother seeing them as people? I might as well just talk to people who believe what I believe and care about what I care about. I should not waste my time with people that God doesn't even like. I should just take my time and make sure that I'm saying the magic prayer for myself like three times a day to make sure that it took root and talk to the people I know who believe the things I believe. I should focus on the things I can actually save. See, believing that things will get worse and worse makes me care less. Because what I really end up believing is I can't change anything. I'm just along for the ride. And then when the truly tragic things happen around me, like, I don't know, the 199 mass shooting, then I say things like, well, what do you expect? Things are gonna just keep getting worse and worse and worse. As I watch the tragedies unfold around me, what it makes me is a more bitter person, more uncaring towards the world. And what I didn't know for the longest time is that this isn't the way, this is just a way to believe. It's a way that even has a name. It's the biggest word I'm gonna say to this morning, premillennialism. It's a way. That doesn't have to be the way you believe. But it is the way so many people believe because it's the only way they were ever told this world is going to unfold in front of them. Things are gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse until Jesus returns. Don't expect anything less. And so we throw our hands up and say, there's nothing we can do. I might as well just sit down and wait. I can only do so much. I can only reach so many. So I'm gonna show up on Sunday, do my thing on Sunday morning with my people on Sunday morning, my thing, my people, my church, and everybody else who doesn't fit into those categories, well, be damned. That is a way, and my goodness, it misses the mark. What if I told you that there was a different way? What if I told you you didn't have to believe that things were gonna get worse and worse and worse and worse? What if I told you historically there was a whole different way to see things? That, that there's another Christian line of thinking that says that light and truth would gradually fill the world, brought on by Christians, by the followers of God, and that the light and truth brought in by the followers of God 
would culminate with the return of Christ. And if we believe, not that things are getting worse and worse, but that they're getting more light and more truth, then we lead the way in the care of the world. Then we lead the way in the care of the people of this world. Then we don't see people as, I don't know, as, as unreachable because of their religion or their lifestyle or their politics. We simply see them as image bearers of the divine. That's it. It doesn't matter. Their politics, their lifestyle, they are image bearers of God just like me. And they are deserving of my love, my compassion, God's grace, and a conversation. When the latest school shooting happens, I don't throw my hands up and go, ah, well, what do you expect? Instead, we say things like, what can we do to make sure this never happens again? When I look around at my state or my nation or my world, I'm not embittered into inaction. I am motivated to bring the light and truth of Christ into the world. This is just a different worldview. Sometimes we have a worldview that we don't even know that we have. We've been handed it, and our vision has been so skewed by it for much longer than we ever knew. And we've accepted the outcomes of that worldview, like thinking there's an alpha in the deer herd, and we've just missed it. We've accepted the conclusions. We've let the researchers go out and keep concluding the same thing over and over. And what we've ended up doing is we've missed the actual point of some of the gospel stories for so long because we've accepted the idea that we are helpless along for the ride and things are just gonna get worse. If things were just gonna get worse, then why would Jesus return a blind man's sight? Why? What's the point of a blind man being able to see the next day? Why would Jesus forgive someone's sin or return their faith if not to strengthen that person for days to come? Why would he tell a woman to go and sin no more if tomorrow didn't matter? Why would he invite Nicodemus to join him if there was nowhere for Nicodemus to go? Why would the apostles create the deacons to care for the widows, the sick, and the orphans? Why would the early believers sell their homes and their possessions to make sure that no one went hungry? Why would Paul write letter after letter and create community after community if there was no hope in changing the world? Why would Jesus give his followers the great commission, go into the ends of the earth and make disciples of everyone, teaching them to obey all that I have taught you, baptizing them in my name if there was no hope for the world? We miss the point if we think the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. We have become hopeless as a church, 
if we think that we are powerless to enact change. See, there are two things that you need to be able to fully buy in order to understand the scripture passage that I'm gonna read to you and then we're gonna close with today. Two things. If you don't buy those, then you're gonna hear scripture, but it's not going to hit you the way I think Paul wants it and I think God wants it to hit you. One, you need a relationship with Christ that's yours. If it's your grandma's, your wife's, or your parents' faith, I, again, you're gonna hear good words and you can put them into action, but if you're not in Christ, there's only so much this is gonna do for you. Number two, you need hope for tomorrow. If you have no hope for tomorrow, this, I don't even know why. I don't know why you read it. I, I don't, I can't understand it. Because it's all about hope for tomorrow. I, I for the life of me, can't understand. I, I, I try so hard to walk in, the, in the, foot, uh, the, the shoes of others, but if there's no hope for tomorrow, I just don't understand the point. If you don't have those two things, then this passage is not gonna captivate your heart, it's not gonna captivate your spirit or your attention. But what, what's happening here is that Paul is laying out a whole new world. He's gonna tell us what things to leave behind and which things to take with us. He's telling us which things belong to the old world and which things are kingdom creation things, which things belong in the kingdom. And he's couching all of this in Christ. He assumes that you are in Christ. If you're reading this, hearing this, studying this, trying to understand this, then you are in Christ. Paul assumes that you have a reason for tomorrow. You're here with a purpose. You have a hope for your neighbor, that you have a hope for your country, that you have a hope for your world. Paul assumes that you believe with God's strength that you can make a difference. He does. It's not hard to see that. Paul's not writing this and going, dear Colossians, we have no hope. The world is ending in love, Paul. Look, the New Testament is primarily written by Paul. In our hope is Christ. If you are in Christ, Christ makes you whole. Paul's letters are filled with hope over and over and over and over. He assumes that's where you're at. So I'm reading Colossians 3, 1 to 17. That's what we're reading and closing with today. And I'm not gonna just break this thing down for you. I'm giving you scripture and you get to just take it, okay? I told you, different sermon today. It's the biggest chunk I'm giving you from Colossians too. So, I'm gonna read one to four, give a pause, read five to 10, give a pause, and read 11 to 17, and close. So here's one through four. We're in chapter three. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, 
seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, setting your hearts and minds on things above does not mean you withdraw from the world. Just know that. It'd be easy for you to take that and go, okay, I should sit in a room by myself, draw the window shades, and just meditate on things of heaven and exclude myself from the world, and that is not what is being said. It doesn't mean that we don't reach out to those who don't know Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't have fun or we don't go to work or we don't have relationships with people. What it does mean is that the person who is in Christ knows and always has the knowledge that there is more to this world than what is right in front of us. If you don't know God, then you live for right now. But if you do know God, if you know him, if you follow him, if you know his son, if you have a relationship with Jesus, then you know there is more than right now. You know that. So live that way. Go to your job. And remember, it's more than a job. There's a mission field there. Make your money. But remember, your money is not just for toys and for fun. Your money is to bless others. Your money is to bless your community. It's to bless God's church. Go. Date. Get married. Remember. There's more to this world than what's right in front of you. Your romantic relationships, they aren't just about you and what you can get out of it. They're about honoring the other person, loving them, and showing a reverence to God with the way that you exist in those relationships. Go live. Don't lock yourself away, but live in a way that shows the world and the people that are around you and know you that you are living for something beyond this place. In what you say, in what you do, in how you live, whether in word or deed, show that you live in his name, not in yours, not for earthly things, that you live for him. And that's step one of the new world. Step one, live now, but live beyond here. Got it? Step one, live now, live beyond here. It's a three-step process this morning, super easy. Step two, what do we need to put behind us, all right? Step one, live now, live beyond here. Step two, what do we need to put behind us? And here's where verses five to 10 come in. Here's what we're leaving behind. These things do not get packed in the suitcase when we get on the spaceship, okay? We're all Trekkies now, you're joining me, all right? These don't go in the suitcase, five to 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Paul gives three lists here, three. The first list is 90% about sexual immorality and tacked on the end is greed. 
Sex and money. Sex and money. When I got my first job as a pastor, the pastor that hired me said, Nick, the fastest way to lose your ministry is sex and money. Beware. I mean, day one, first thing he said. A pastor is no longer a pastor because of one of those things. Ironic, but also true. Sex and money. Paul says, guard your heart. The second list is all about attitude and speech. Guard your mind and watch your tongue. And then thirdly, Paul singles out lying to one another. Why does he single out lying? Of all the things he could single out, he singles out lying. Does he single it out because we lie so often to each other? Does he single it out because there can be no room in this new kingdom for lying? I don't know. I don't know why he singles it out. But here's what I do know. We can't miss it because he singles it out. You can't ignore it. All right? So, do not lie to each other. Guard your heart, guard your mind, and watch your tongue. Best way I can sum up the three lists. So that's step two of the new world. Step one, live now, live beyond here. Step two, what do we need to put behind us? Step three, what are we going to be taking with us? What goes in the suitcase? And this is the beautiful picture that gets painted now. What does the new world look like? Okay, this is 11 to 17 if you're following along. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the new world. This is what we are supposed to be creating. Not sitting on the couch waiting for things to get worse and worse. This is our mission. Our activeness should be applied to this creation. Striving, working, sweating, toiling, pushing, pulling, yearning, running. This kingdom creation, people, there is no separation. We are all equal. There is no division. Equality. We are all chosen. We are all loved. And the love of Christ rules us. 
spreads among us, binds us together in unity. The love of Christ supersedes all of our disagreements. Okay, we may not see eye to eye on politics. Okay, love is bigger than that. It binds us together in unity. We may not agree on this interpretation of scripture. Okay, love is bigger than that. It binds us together in unity. We may not agree on this, you name it. Guess what's bigger than that? Somebody tell me. Love, it binds us together in unity. It's bigger than whatever disagreement you can tell me. That is the new world. And because love binds us together, when you enter into this new world, this kingdom creation, this house, you will find our people humble and forgiving, compassionate, patient, kind. When we sing our songs, we sing in love. When we correct and admonish and teach, we teach in love. Whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Amen. And let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website, kanoichurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together.